I say to people, I believe that Jesus has punched Parkinson's in the face. Like he dealt with it on the cross. Whether that's this side of eternity or the other side, I know my healing has taken place and I'll get a new body one day. Theologically, I believe in healing. But pastorally, what we need to be very careful about is that people die in shame because they were told they've not had enough faith. And actually, that is a form of spiritual abuse. But I pray for Steve. He's one of my best mates in all the world. I pray for him all the time that God would heal him. But I also pray for myself that God would sustain me. And I think we can hold both intention. The Profile with Premier Christianity magazine. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Emma Fowle. The Profile is the show where we sit down with a well-known Christian to hear more about their life, their faith and their ministry. It is brought to you in association with Premier Christianity, the UK's leading Christian magazine. The monthly title features more interviews just like this one, as well as all of our latest news, reviews, columnists and much more. Plus, there's great new digital content uploaded every day to our website, premierchristianity.com. To get full access wherever you are in the world, there are print and digital subscription options available. Get the magazine delivered directly to your door or access all of the latest content via your computer, smartphone or the Premier Christianity app. Head over to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe for more information. Now today's show is a very special edition of The Profile in which I am delighted to be joined by not one but two phenomenal guests who will be chatting to each other mainly about living with long-term chronic and terminal illness. Steve Legg is a comedian, an evangelist and the editor of Sorted magazine. Two years ago Steve was diagnosed with a very rare form of skin cancer and last April he was told that it had spread to his liver, his stomach, his spine and his brain and was given just five months to live. Carl Beach is an evangelist, a speaker and an author. He is the president of Christian Vision for Men and leads Edge Ministries, a church planting movement passionate about reaching forgotten people in forgotten places. Last year he was diagnosed with young onset Parkinson's disease, an incurable and degenerative disease. And in this episode, Carl and Steve, who've been friends for more than 20 years, discuss coming to terms with their diagnoses, their different attitudes to healing, and how they are determined to face the future, whatever it holds, with joy. In their inimitable styles, no-nonsense, hilarious and profound in equal measure, you can expect banter, gags and deep truth. Prepare to laugh, prepare to cry, prepare to be deeply challenged. So, Carl, we've been pals 20-odd years. Yeah, yeah, must be. Yeah. yeah you go back be. A, a long old way. And I'm sure people, people see us out on the road, watch us on stuff and think, look at those two good-looking, fit young men. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, I don't think anyone... Specimen, fine figures of men, true models <laughs> of masculinity. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I've been pretty fit until my mid-50s and I've suddenly started falling a bit. Yeah, um, no, the same. It's yeah. crazy. So how did that manifest itself with you? Because we're on very different journeys. Um, mm. How did it start for you, pal? Well, I, I always say there's a diagnosis, there's the symptoms you get diagnosed with, and then you, when you get diagnosed, you learn more about what you got and you realise you had it for a lot longer. Yes. 
<laughs> so in my case, I had um I was during the pandemic and before I've always been a little bit of a kettlebell swinger, you know, I'd kind of like getting out in a pacho, skipping and doing my kettlebells. And I had really bad shoulder pain, like chronic, bad, to the point where I couldn't eat sitting at the table because my arms would be in a position that causes terrible pain all the time. And being a bloke, I just kind of ignored it. I thought it was a weightlifting, you know. Anyway, fast forward a few years, this went on a while. I then started developing these strange, what I thought at the time were spasms in my body. But I was getting it all over, and particularly on one side. Then I noticed that my arm wasn't swinging when I was walking and various other bits and pieces. Long story short, I was having lunch with someone and they went, you, <laughs> there's weird things happening. You need to go to a doctor. And they said they'd call me every day until I went. And then, um, you know, it's like I got blood tests. Um, and then I was sent for an MRI, which is clear. They're checking for all kinds of things like vitamin problems, minerals and all that kind of stuff. Then they, they were hinting there's a problem with my brain that was neurological. And then, um, again, cutting out a lot of faff. Um, the doctor took me aside on the third go, the third visit to a GP, and they did look quite worried and upset. And because um, I worked with a GP group, so they knew me, like we had a friendship. And they said, look, you need an urgent referral to neurology and you're not going to get seen in time for what I think you got. So you need to go private. So I was like, what do you think I got? And and I said, have I got MS? And she went, no. Said, is it like a Parkinson's thing? They said, no, it doesn't present like this. And I'm like, do you think I've got motor neuron disease? And they just sort of didn't answer, just sort of looked at me. So I lurched out the, the surgery thinking that was what it was. I phoned a private neurologist, a mate put me in touch with, and within half hours of seeing them a week later, they said, I'm 99% sure you've got young onset Parkinson's. Um which is so rare, only 14,000 people in the country got it out of 67 million. This is why the GPs didn't know what it was. They just don't see it. And then I had a DAT scan, which is where they pump sort of nuclear waste in your blood. Then you, you it takes six hours. And then it came back that uh, I'd lost 80% of their bouts of the dopamine neurons in my brain. And they're continuing to die. It's incurable disease. And uh, that was that was that. So... Yeah, it's a weird moment, though, isn't it, mate? When uh, the doctor looks at you and they say, this is what you got, then it's incurable and degenerative, and it's going to be really brutal. But I actually said, oh, thank you very much, because I, I thought I'd motor neuron disease. <laughs> I said, that's fantastic. <laughs> what? That's brilliant news. How long have I got? <laughs> so, <Wow>. Longer. <laughs> so that, that's my story. Yeah, what about you, pal? What happened? Oh, Do you know what? Mine started probably nearly two years ago. Um, my wife noticed a tiny little black mark on the underside of my right foot. Looked like a little blood blister or something. Didn't look anything out of the ordinary. And she nagged me and she kept nagging. And wives are brilliant at nagging. And we should listen as fellas more to our wives yes. and girlfriends. Correct. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, because I hate going to the doctor. Hardly ever been to the doctor in my life. Never had anything wrong with me. When I realised I could take a photo, I thought, well, this is brilliant. I haven't even, <laughs> even got to go in. Took a photo, sent it in. Doctor said, come in. She had a little look at it. Wasn't sure. She said, I'm going to refer you to a dermatologist. And I thought, well, that's crazy. I've got lovely skin, as you can see. Uh, I haven't got spots. So I went to see this Greek guy in Worthing, referred to him, and we got on like a house on fire. And he said, well, I'm not sure. And he was poking about at it. And he said, you will need a biopsy. And I said, Doc, how long will I have to wait for that? He said, well, ironically, two weeks, and you'll come back and see me. 
Uh, and I said, any chance you could fit me in now? And he said, oh, go on for your cheek. Um, so he laid me down. He said, I'm warning you here. I'm going to inject you into the underside of your foot, which right. is the, the most painful place to have an injection. And this is really going to hurt. And I said, listen, I'll be fine. Got a very high pain threshold. So I was lying there and he was fiddling away. And I said to him, this is brilliant. I can't feel a thing. And he said, well, look, I've not done it yet. And then he stuck it in my foot. <laughs> I almost kicked him in the head. It was absolute agony. But hey, he took his biopsy. The laughter soon stopped. Um, two weeks later, I was sat down at home. It was a Thursday afternoon, quarter past four. You never forget these moments, Carl, do you? And he no. phoned me up and he said, I've got the results of your biopsy. You've got skin cancer. And he told me a lot more and I didn't take any of it in. And my wife was on the phone somewhere else. So she came in and I, I thought, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to tell her straight away. She was, uh, she had a big important event the following day. I thought, should I keep this shtum for 24 hours? But she could tell from my face. And I told her, um, we started on this crazy cancer journey that I've been on for nearly two years. Turned out we got a very strange type of cancer, very unusual. Typical us. If we get stuff, Carl, why is it always oh, super stuff? rare? Yeah, hyper red. No one else has got it. What's going on? So I've got this acral lentiginous melanoma. There's a type of skin yeah, cancer. You, yeah, you with the Latin or whatever I know, I know. Um, that's got nothing to do with the sun or anything. I'm, the, I'm not the underside of my foot. That's where it started. Um, just some rogue gene in my body. So three yeah. operations, two little ones. Well, one small one on my foot to take it out. But they found it, it spread through my lymphatic system. The second op, we went a lot deeper about two centimetres into the underside of my foot, which I thought I'd misheard when he told me. I thought, surely two centimetres, you go, go through the bottom, right through the top. But uh, he had got that right. So I was off my feet for three months and he took out a lymph node in my groin. But unfortunately, it had spread there. This January, I had a much bigger op that uh, has only done a couple of times in the UK a year where they opened me up and took all my lymph nodes out in my groin and pelvis area, leaving me with a 14-inch scar Looks like I've had a scrap with a shark <laughs> and been on immunotherapy as well. So uh, the medical profession have been phenomenal. The immunotherapy didn't really work for me, apart from giving me type 1 diabetes. And I know you're struggling with that as well, yeah. Carl, and various yeah. things. And then just to really fast forward very fast, this April, we'd had a wonderful week down at Spring Harvest at Minehead. Went to see the oncologist on the Monday. Uh, I walked in. She looked she was in tears and I thought you do not have to be a body language expert to realize this is not good news and she basically said that nothing had worked and the cancer um kind of like blowing a dandelion when it comes to melanoma you blow it and it goes everywhere and it spread to my liver my stomach my spine and my brain and it wasn't really looking very good so um I said to her how much longer have I got do you think doc because you become friends with these people don't you as you journey with them and uh, I said, what have I got? Five days, five weeks, five months, five years. And she said, probably five months. So hearing that in April and where we are now was uh, was a body blow, to say the least. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's what, what happened in the immediate moments. Was that the room spinning or? Well, I just couldn't almost believe it. You know, I'm a man full of faith. I know... God mm. can heal me. I believe God will heal me. I don't believe mm. my work here on earth is done. I was just really numb. I didn't I didn't start crying. I was there with my wife, Becca. The nurse looked like she was in tears. Dr. Westwell looked like she was in tears and just sort of processing it. And 
just talking practically about holidays and stuff and our girls, how are we going to tell our five daughters? And I was telling her about Amber, which really, which, which, which made the tears flow. Who was having a baby. Um, and she said, you, you should be around to hold the baby and to be told that. I mean, I'm 56. I look fit as a fiddle, don't I? Um, yeah, it was, it was a real shock. We went out of the room, we had a drink. She said, come back, we'll chat later. So we went back in and uh, she unpacked things a, a little bit more. She talked about other medical things we could do, which I am doing. The medical profession is, is amazing. And just as we were about to leave, it was one of those Columbo moments. She said, oh, one last thing. You're not allowed to drive from now on. And I thought, oh, man, have you got oh, any yeah. more bad news to tell me because of the little bits in my brain? And, uh, yeah, so it was quite something. But it was quite an amazing day, really. It was probably one of the worst days of my life, but an incredible day because um, we went to the hospital and and then we went on to Gatwick Airport to pick up two of our daughters who'd been in Australia for a few weeks. And we picked them up. And the rest of our girls are all back locally now. My daughter, Emmy, was working with horses in Newmarket. She's now back in the South Coast. So for the first time, we were all together and they came over for dinner that night. And I couldn't tell them. I had to leave it to Becca oh, to explain tough. things. I hid upstairs in my room and they all came and, and gave me a big hug and were all in tears. And, uh, but it was a beautiful week. And they came over for yeah. dinner every night and we talked and we laughed and we ate. Though I've got to say, I couldn't eat for about four days i don't know what it was like for you and the bad news i mean it was quite a diet yeah, it's a weird one, by, yeah, by day four yeah <laughs> it was different for me in that two things really one is the doctor just kind of said to me i mean he's a great doctor but he just sort of said this is going to be really brutal really tough um you could be in a wheelchair in five years you know uh the pills will last between eight and twelve you've got to take them all the time for the rest of your life then it's brain surgery and I kind of kind of sort of walked out a bit bewildered. But the weirdest thing for me was I'd done this, I think I told you this before, Steve, but I'd done this gig in Liverpool like ages before. And it was one of them gigs where someone just got in my face, sat next to me, and didn't stop talking at me. And I had to stand up and do my talk. It was very memorable. He's about six foot five, this guy, like giant haystacks. <laughs> and uh, so I couldn't forget him. reference. <laughs> yeah. I'm a child of the 70s. So I'm doing this thing. And right at the end, he really sort of, I can't give me heading because I was so tired after everything. And um, he said to me, you must listen to Chainbreaker by Zach Williams. I went, yeah, yeah. He went, listen to it on the way home. It's, it's from the Lord. And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. He went, put it in your phone again. Yeah, yeah. So all the way home, I listened to Pink Floyd. So I thought, I'm not, not listening to that. Anyway, two weeks later, I was in my truck. Um, which I've had to get rid of because this is right, actually. And uh, I drive, I thought I'd put that song on. And and it, this song's phenomenal. It talks about being a pain taker and a way maker. And if you've been walking this road for a long time, I wasn't even feeling ill at this point. The presence of God touched my life. And I felt God say to me, my grace is sufficient for you. What's coming to you is a gift. And I, I burst into tears, which is unusual for me. Phone Karen while I'm driving along crying and she said you're having a breakdown I went no I think the Holy Spirit speaking to me and I said to her I think I'm going to be really ill but it's going to be all right so when the doctor told me I had this thing and he bombarded me with all this information he kind of walked out thinking oh I'm done in I, I had this sense that God was with me in it which gave me a strange calm and then when I went home I hugged Karen you know we after that scan results came in and uh, we had a cry together for a bit. 
And then you go into what do we do mode, didn't you? Front loads your life, priorities change, got a granddaughter on the way. How much longer am I going to be mobile for? The pills have bad side effects. We watched the Michael J. Fox documentary, you know, which is sobering because I thought, well, that's going to be me. I've got exactly the same type of Parkinson's. He calls it the gift that keeps on taking. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny times, isn't it? I think back to that Monday news. And I was aware that I had had four gigs that weekend. For people who don't know me, I do comedy magic to communicate the gospel. I'm an evangelist, been on the road 35 years, and I'm thinking, hear this news on Monday. I'm going to be dead by the middle of September. I've got to go yeah. make people laugh Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. And talk about Jesus. And I thought there's no way I could do it. But I spoke to you, Carl. I spoke to my power, Ishmael, and a few other people. And I thought, no, this is what God has called me to do, and I'm going to do it. And I went and did these gigs. And we had a wonderful time. And laughter is wonderful medicine. And uh, my calling in life, whether life is long or short, easy or hard, is to tell people about Jesus. And it was really beautiful. And I've seen many beautiful things in these last months. Carl, can you share some of the things that you've seen that two years ago you would never have thought you, you would look and see beauty in such things? Yeah, it's really, it's an odd one because I think your whole your whole mindset and perspective shifts. I mean, one of the things you just said there, mate, about getting out and gigging, I remember having that conversation with you. And that inspired me because I thought, I've got to keep doing what I was made to do. The doctor said to me, he said, your symptoms will be made far worse by stress. I've got simultaneously diagnosed with diabetes, which I have to take insulin for. It's like a late onset version of what you've got. And um, I thought, eliminate stress. But my whole job is standing up in front of people and leading organizations. So everything I do is a pain. (laughs) but actually we have to just keep doing the things we do and then the strangest thing is everything becomes amplified like beautiful moments become amplified you know i go in the garden look at i like my plants you know but i look at a flower and it'll come alive in a different way i'd look at my wife with even deeper appreciation my friendships and then you know making sure like mates like you and others we're talking more often and because everything becomes completely recalibrated because, you know, you don't know, am I going to get dementia? Am I going to be immobile? How long have I got? I do know that this this condition I've got is rapidly accelerated with being diabetic as well. You know, it's progressing, so I can feel it progressing all the time. But there's beauty in that because everything's recalibrated. Yeah, You think about everything differently. And, and God feels so much closer. Like, I've not felt angry with God at all. And people say to me, if you if you feel angry, you're saying, why me? And I'm like, well, why not me? Yeah. You know, maybe I can live this with joy and strength and be an example. I, I, on that, you know, I live in Staveley in Derbyshire, which is a very deprived community. Three miles down the road, you live 30 years longer without chronic health problems. I mean, there's mobility scooters everywhere here. And, you know, it's a very poor old mining and industrial town. And I thought to myself when I first got diagnosed, if I'm going to become completely disabled, I think I'll go and do that in Provence. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll go and do that in Florida. But then mm. the Lord spoke to me. He said, no, live out joy amongst those who are struggling. And that, that's my gift. And and I've just felt so much peace from the Lord in that. I mean, you get the odd dark night of the soul, but not, not huge. Um, it's been a beautiful thing as much as it totally sucks, if that makes sense. No, I would say exactly the same. It is beautiful. And I found myself clinging to God and spending yeah. more time in prayer and 
um, you, you know, all those things has been great for me. And two words have really stuck out for me, reprioritizing and gratitude mm. and uh, choosing to spend time with joy givers. There's many people that we yeah. know over the years. I want to spend time with people who bring me great joy. It was wonderful hanging out with you yesterday. Yeah. And just the gratitude. How we laughed my, over things. My <laughs> wife recorded our laughter. And uh, <laughs> that was just wonderful to hear that laughter and to spend time with you and have breakfast with you. And you paid and uh, just all that gratitude that I hear birds singing now. That I'm sure yeah. I've always sung, but I've never noticed them. And I walked this... down the beach this morning with my dog and I bumped into my mate Mark. And I thought, wow, what an amazing blessing to live by the seaside, spend 10 minutes with my mate, Mark. Yeah. It is it's funny like that. I was talking to our neighbours, and uh, even though we live in an area that's quite poor, I've got a lovely woodland, I've got a nice little garden. We were talking about going on holiday, and I said, Do you know what, I just, I just quite like the ordinary now. Mm. I like plodding around where I live. I like me woods, got me little dog, Douglas the Cavapoo, Spenny the Cat, Gary the Tortoise. I'm happy. I'm a contented man. Do you know what I mean? And I, I, that's the weird gift of chronic illness. Now, I'm not basing like the terminal nature of what you've been told, like five months. I mean, I've been told I've got a long battle of going slowly and steadily downhill, um, which is a different pressure. But even so, you know, the, the small, beautiful things become bigger, beautiful things, I've felt. And the other, I don't know about you, mate, but we have had some good fun at me with uh, the Christian world and uh, it's its ability to to bless you. And it's very strange. You know what? People mean they, well. They do. It doesn't always come up. You just think, maybe think about what you're about to tell me. I had th mate. three mates take me out for curry to cheer me up and uh, lovely food a couple of pints but i had three stories of friends of theirs who died of cancer and i thought this is not building me up please don't write and pray saying so and so died of cancer last week we text <laughs> each other don't we encouraging messages i had one um what is the one <laughs> i don't know if you can put that in the injury but anyway i had, I had one was what was it um oh yeah my my dad got that and he died suffocated to death i mean i'm really praying for you as you journey this out Oh, thank you, brother. <laughs> then, <laughs> then there was a bloke. I spoke at his conference because we both believe in a God who heals, don't we? Definitely. Passionately. And and we're praying for your healing. I'm in a slightly different zone because I actually felt an instruction from the Lord that I would have joy and strength as I decline. And I accept you might heal me at a certain time. Anyway, I I preached on this and I went to do a wee afterwards in the church toilets at this conference, conference center. And this bloke followed me in and he said, have you heard, I was doing a wee. He said, have you heard this evangelist, blah, blah, in America? I went, I think so. And he went, you're wrong. You should be, you should be healed and claiming your healing. I went, brother, I'm doing a wee. And he was actually, he was leaning on the urinal. Like, he wouldn't let me go past. He said, I'm not moving until you let me pray for your healing. I'm like, wow, you know, it's this madness that can come over people. Well-meaning. Very well meaning. But I had to say to him, please, can I just finish going to the toilet? And then can you can you get out of the way so I can wash my hands? Yeah. And sometimes you just don't want to talk about illness, do you? <laughs> you know, we're at the gathering, that. you know, this wonderful event that you guys put on. There's just yeah. so many people. How are you? No, how are you? 
No, really, how yeah, are no, how you really doing? What's your pro- Why? You think, I just want to forget about cancer for an hour, for a day. <laughs> it's it's yeah. such a hard balance, isn't it? Mate, I have really that care. in the gathering. I am um, with, with Parkinson's, the dope basically lots of dopamine cells, people that don't know. It's there's two sort of comma shaped areas in your in your brain that produce dopamine. And dopamine's not just your moods, it's um it controls your movements, smooths your movements out. So I have to take replacement dopamine all day through the day. But but stress burns through that resource because my brain's not producing any new stuff. I take a pill. If I'm under high stress, it burns through it. So I was preaching the gathering absolutely fine, hosting all the banter. By the time I get to the end of the session, I can barely walk off the stage. I mean, when I'm you're either switched on with Parkinson's when the meds are working or you're switched off. When I'm switched off, I do look absolutely terrible. My face masks, I'm stiff, I'm bad trip, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, someone someone came up to me and they went, mm, how are you? And I went, well, struggling a bit. And they went, you do look terrible as you got off the stage. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. Thank, thank you, you brother, for the blessing. Start the year enriched and enlightened with thought-provoking Christian content from Premier Christianity magazine. As a special New Year offer, enjoy a year's subscription for just £24. Subscribe today at premierchristianity.com. <laughs> but in all seriousness, it is an interesting point that raises between like what you both have said about your own attitudes to being prayed for for healing. And there, there is debate, isn't there, within Christian circles about what is the right way to like go towards things like this so carl you feel very strongly that god's given you a word that he's going to be with you in it but you're not necessarily going to be relieved of this steve you're you're very much in the place at the moment is this right that you you're believing for god's healing how how does that work out for you guys in in your life practically do you do you confront people carl when they say to you we want to pray for healing or do you just you know smile and say to me yeah no i say thanks can i just say that i really feel from the lord is that he wants me to have joy and strength to endure at this particular stage, whether that's to the end game or not. I say to people, I believe that Jesus has punched Parkinson's in the face, like he dealt with it on the cross. Whether that's this side of eternity or the other side, I know my healing has taken place and I'll get a new body one day, but could you pray for this? And it's interesting now, people still can't quite bring themselves to do that. Sometimes the people are doing that are wearing glasses. I'm like, why don't you pray for your short sightedness to be healed then? It's because he's a big target. They're shooting a big target and getting a big healing. And I think um, pastorally, theologically, I believe in healing, but pastorally, what we need to be very careful about uh, as a pastor and Bible teacher, I'd say, is that people die in shame because they were told they've not had enough faith or they didn't pray in a certain way or didn't rebuke it or make dec- the right declarations and people die in shame. And actually that is a form of spiritual abuse, but I pray for Steve. He's one of my best mates in all the world. I pray for him all the time that God would heal him. But I also pray for myself that God would sustain me. And I think we can hold both intention. Definitely. The kingdom is now, but not yet. And, and, you know, I think living with the balance of understanding healing and suffering, wholeness, and brokenness is very, very important for a balanced Christian life. But I am praying that Steve is healed. And I believe, I believe we've actually all faith that God is going to supernaturally sustain him and push the cancer back. That's my prayer of faith. Yeah, I had a crazy week a few weeks ago. We're on this journey, aren't we? This crazy 
path of um, hundreds and thousands of people praying for me all over the world over one weekend. Um, so really reaching out for a miracle working God. And I know God can do it because I've seen him do it. But the tension of the medical solution as well. And um, also that week I had a visit to a hospice to talk about end of life care. So that was a crazy week, you know, it really was holding those three things in tension, but I'm totally up for God healing me. I love the the words of Spurgeon, the great preacher that we're um, immortal until our work is done. And I really don't believe my work here on earth is done. So um, I'm holding on to every day trying to make the most of every day, seeing the beauty yeah, squeezing the and cracking on, really, like an O'Carl is. Yeah, I, there's gospel juice to be squeezed out of this. Like you you said this to me, Steve, which stuck with me, which is I don't want this to be a wasted experience. Mm. I'd not articulated like that myself as succinctly, but I was saying to people, there's gospel juice here, and I, I want to wring it. I want to wring it out. And, and already... Um, you know, I'm in front of a whole new arena of people in the Parkinson's world and the medical world who are not believers who I'm able to share with, talk to. I'm getting quite prominent in that small Parkinson's world already. Um, and I believe God's shining a light in that. I can identify with people. And I think I've got a greater empathy than I have before because you kind of go through life not really noticing things like disability until it hits you. You know, when my wife bought me a walking stick for one pound from the local charity shop, it did kind of drive drive the point. <laughs> <laughs> we're big spenders, nothing but the best. Plastic handle, no ivory. I wanted a pewter hawk's head one, but oh, uh, it's a one nice. pound one pound adjustable plastic walking stick. But suddenly you're looking at stuff like access to shops and people's ability to get around who are disabled, and you just sort of appreciate life more, and you get a greater empathy. You're suddenly talking to people. There's more level playing field with people who are struggling and suffering. The amount of messages I get from people who've got all sorts of chronic conditions. Um, yeah, I, and and that's a beautiful thing, isn't it, mate? It is really. It is. I'm just say, uh, uh, just a little thing that I do. I'm watching a lot more comedy and less current affairs. <laughs> it's good for the soul. I go into well, it's a chemo. I'm not on chemo. I'm on immunotherapy and other stuff, but. Uh, I go in there with my iPads and watching Only Fools and Horses. Everyone is, looks close to death, grey and sad, and I'm laughing my head off watching Only Fools and Horses and making everyone else <laughs> laugh. And it's it's just beautiful. I don't think anyone on their deathbed has ever said, "I wish I watched the ten o'clock news a little bit more." Yeah, I'm developing a joke book of Parkinson's jokes. I think they're great. <laughs> I was a little bit suspicious when my wife brought home Buckaroo to play from the charity shop. I thought oh, that was a bit be good at operation either, would you? No, or Jenga. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit suspicious. We're quite a competitive family. I thought, what's all that? What's going on here? No, I'm not quite happy about that. <laughs> and so, what's it like in terms of ministry? Like, you guys both lead very public ministries, big organizations, mm. lots of responsibility you're covering, like you're carrying all the time. How does that, um, how do you deal with that in terms of also then carrying this this huge me- medical diagnosis and all the stress and strain around that? Has it made you think about ministry differently? Have you begun to do anything differently? Or is it just kind of business as usual, I'm just going to crack on as hard as, as fast for as long as I can? Well, I'm doing the latter. The only thing that is really frustrating for me, I'm not allowed to drive. 
Um, so I went up to the Marsden and had this crazy thing called Cyberknife. And I said to them, all, oh, you've got to change the name. That's scary. <laughs> this robot that, that blitzed my brain for two and a half hours. You lay on this bed. You're not allowed to move. You have this bespoke mask made that literally pins you down. I went in there. As everything with me, there's high comedy levels and th funny things that happen. They asked what music I'd like played for the two and a half hours. I said, oh, let's get some chart stuff on. Second song, Cutting Crew, I Died in Your Arms Tonight. Um, so when I told them about this later and <laughs> another one bites the dust, I said, you can't play that. I found that hilarious. But, um, you know. Mate, when I did that scan, when I did this nuclear <laughs> stuff put in me, I, they said, you've got to wait three hours before you come back. Then we've got to put your head in this contraption and scan your brain. And I said, what do I do for three hours? They said, well, you just have to wait. I went, well, can I go to Chinatown and get a, get a bowl of noodles? I went, don't use a public urinal because the urine's going to be radioactive and don't get any pregnant women. Just just sit by yourself. And you will be glowing. <laughs> you will be glowing. I don't think I obeyed any of the rules, but there you go. That's a radioactive like Simpson down at the plant, isn't it? Yeah, radioactive <laughs> sweet and sour pork. That is brilliant. So for, yeah. so for me, to answer the question, uh, it's hassle not being able to drive. So I'm not allowed to drive for, oh, for two yeah. years. So I have some wonderful friends and my beautiful wife, Becca, drives me places but we crack on this weekend i was up with carl in staveley on the saturday night so a four-hour drive yeah. up there and then we stayed over and then went to hereford yesterday afternoon so bless her she must have been driving for 12 hours which for me and carl because we're so used to that that is that is like anyone else driving 15 minutes to the shops for for a loaf of bread yeah, used to, mate. it takes it out of people doesn't it? it does yeah i mean i've kept going as much as possible I was just on a Zoom this morning planning a tour to Australia across uh, Brisbane and Melbourne and Victoria and stuff. Uh, we're still ploughing ahead with all the mission plans. But it's like death by a thousand paper cuts, really. You've got to keep on top of the emotions of it. So I didn't lose my driving licence, but I had it restricted. So I had it taken off me in a medical review licence given back. And they removed all my categories apart from cars and motorcycles. It's a bit interesting, really. You can't, you can't drive anything that's a danger to other people apart from to yourself. So I can still drive a motorcycle, but I can't drive a full transit. But it's things like it's things like that, you know, the little niggles that you have to navigate. And and I do the the hidden symptoms of Parkinson's that people aren't aware of. I do suffer from catastrophic fatigue, which is I've never experienced in my life. And it's not like oh, I want to go to sleep. So my body is so heavy it cannot move, and uh, and I can get quite bad apathy. I wouldn't describe it as depression, but the lack of dopamine in my brain means that for many years now, I've not had any reward buzz. So I don't get good feelings. I can laugh, have a laugh with me mates, but I don't, you know, find a parking space in a busy day. You think, fantastic. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I just don't get that back. And I can get hit by anxiety because of the lack of dopamine smoothing my emotions out. And that can hit me at any time. It's rare, but it happens. So I can walk into a shop or be driving down the road on my way to meet Steve, whatever, and I get this overwhelming feeling of agitation and anxiety. Or I can get side effects in the drugs, which you'll see Michael J. Fox does these strange movements. I've, that's hit me a few times. One time while I was preaching, it looked like I was in a dance contest, not preaching the gospel. So these things do drag you down if you let them. But you, you have to keep your mindset positive. Yeah, as a discipline. So I choose, I choose, you know, in the Bible, it says, be joyful, mm. be thankful on all occasions. I've actually learned the power of that. 
But when I choose joy, choose gratitude, like Steve said, choose to be thankful, somehow the Holy Spirit does something and it bubbles up. So I'm, I seem to be quite happy a lot of the time. And even when I've got bad apathy or the anxiety, it's, I can say, no, that's not me. That's my brain not working properly. Come on, Jesus, help me now. And I can generally pull myself out of it. So I've not slowed down and I've not pulled back, but I'm happy to manage it. That's the reality. And I think I just have to accept that on some days uh, I cannot do what I used to do. I just have to accept that or build in the right rest around my travel, whereas before I just go at it. I, I just need to be a bit careful. But having said that, my wife, when she was listening to this, said, say you've not made any adjustments at all. But I'm, <laughs> but, it, but mentally and emotionally I have, not practically. <laughs> yeah, that's the reality of living with chronic degenerative conditions. And it's just something else I've learned. Um, at a time when it's easy to focus on all that's wrong, I think it's becoming easier to spot what's right. Mm. Very good. Yeah. Profound, isn't it? That is quite profound. Well, I think your filter for rubbish gets very sharp. Yes. Well, this is what we talked about. People, things, projects, even yeah. gigs. There's some gigs I've had in my diary and I felt I'm just not really sure. Hmm. I'm definitely do that now. There's some things I'm like, no, not going to do that. Whereas before I'd hit it all. I think I'm more selective. I think my radar for productivity and what's going to bring fruitfulness has definitely increased. Maybe that's because we're thinking about it more, mate. Hmm. Maybe it's simply that. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So if you get an invite, if you invite us to do something, uh, if you've had this interview and we say, no, that's why I don't think it's going to be fruitful. <laughs> that's terrible, isn't it? we just said that <laughs> just sometimes it's just not practical is it for me uh, a friday night in sheffield means finding a mate who can take a day off work and drive me up so it's, it's things like that as well isn't it mm, oh yeah yeah definitely so carl you're not seeing this as a death sentence are you seeing this as a life sentence well they keep changing their minds so they used to say Parkinson's doesn't kill you, you die with it. Now they're saying, you know, you do die because of it. Um, so the reality is with diabetes of the type I got and Parkinson's, it's going to potentially shorten my life by a bit. Um, it's something I'm going to, if the Lord doesn't heal me, and I don't believe that's my current journey, I'm now on a, on a steady decline for the rest of my life. Uh, we generally die from immobility and suffocation um uh moving around is going to get increasingly difficult for me um i've said to the lord all of me belongs to you all of me you gave me my life it's all yours but if by your grace you could spare me my voice and my brain then i can love my family and my friends and i can preach the gospel and i and that's my prayer actually more than anything else so I think, yeah, it's it's with me now for the rest of my life and it will get me in the end. Um, I know that will enrage some people listening to this, but that's honestly where I think I'm at, at the moment. Um, and I've got my head around it. I, I have got my head around that. Though every day is a battle. Um, young onset Parkinson's is very much characterised by pain and stiffness and slow movements. 
rigidity. Um, I walk like John Wayne when the medication's not working. I kind of look like I've been sat in a saddle all day. My, sometimes my hands are so sore, I can't even hold a teaspoon. Yeah. So that's the reality. Uh, and I can't see that getting better. It will only get worse, according to the doctors. Of course, God, God may want me to be a walking discombobulation. I may confound people, by the way. And I think attitude, by the way I live, I think attitude has a lot to do with that. I think, <laughs> I think our mindset, which I think we're very similar, of choosing joy and optimism and hope and faith, is an extremely powerful weapon against disease of all types. That's yes, not positive I'm, thinking. I think that's just faith. That's you're right. That's My reality. oncologist said to me, you know, when I take steroids as well, because the the, the second dose of immunotherapy has given me colitis, and uh, she said you have to be on steroids. I said to her, "Well, doc, you know, at least I'll get I'll get my guns back." And uh, <laughs> she said, "Only you, only you could see anything positive in this situation." Mm. <laughs> yeah, and it, right. it's it speaks it speaks volumes, doesn't it? When you go, yeah, there are some spin-off benefits. I mean, like Parkinson's really disrupts the serotonin pathways that control sleep and appetite. So, whilst I have terrible insomnia, I don't feel like eating much, which is fantastic for the six-pack. Yes. You know, in my running career. So there are every cloud, every cloud, you know, every cloud. and and the um the pills, the synthetic doping called levodopa, uh, can really badly lower your blood pressure. So you have to drink more coffee. Brilliant. That's fabulous. There's so many upsides. <laughs> so many upsides. That's the way to look at things, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Which of these topics has not been covered on PremierChristianity.com? UFOs, near-death experiences, Doctor Who, Christ's Return, The Faith of Celebrities, and Andrew Tate. Trick question. We don't shy away from any topic. We cover faith as it affects us in daily life and give you the bigger picture. PremierChristianity.com. Special podcast subscription offer at PremierChristianity.com slash podcast. So, Steve, for you, what are the, what are you living with at the moment? What's the biggest? Are, do you have physical um, symptoms at the moment? Are you? You know, I'm pretty good at the moment. Um, type one diabetes, kind of getting used to that. Found out that uh, the latest drugs give me colitis, which is very unpleasant. It's going to the toilet sort of seven, eight times a day. Uh, it's hard being thankful for, for to God with situations like that when you're up in the middle of the night. Though I, I, I was got a bit, a bit delirious. The other night and i was thinking i need to thank god for three things here so i could hear foxes outside i thanked him for my lovely ensuite and i thanked him for my knees i looked at my knees i thought you got a good pair of knees there boy so <laughs> uh, so just trying to be grateful that they we think we got it under control um i was visiting hospital every day having these infusions being on drips for six eight twelve hours that was driving me insane Man. sitting in a that's chair a marathon, isn't it? that's a marathon oh, man so that's been a little bit crazy i had the indignity of an endoscopy as well but i uh, probably got a good four or five minutes of comedy material out of that having a camera put where the sun doesn't shine uh <laughs> we were listening to barry white for some reason as well it all sounded <laughs> very very strange the most I i'll never better <laughs> listen to barry white romantically again so <laughs> a little bit crazy so i'm on steroids as well so the steroids push my blood sugars up so that's been a little bit mad 
but loving the gigging, traveling, traveling lots still, running sorted magazine. So I'm feeling good. I mean, people see me at the hospital and think, well, you're a bit of a fraud. Uh, but praise God, I'm, I'm doing well. I mean, it's, it's so it's so inspiring, genuinely, to hear you both speak with so much joy and like this this clear commitment to sort of walking this path, whatever it involves for both of you, with joy. I, I think it's going to be so inspiring for so many people. You know, I've had a summer of joy. We've called it a summer of joy. Some friends of ours um, um, set up a Just Giving campaign and people were so kind. And we've just had a wonderful summer of things we could never afford to do with our daughters, that people have been so kind and it's been amazing. That's the thing that gets me really mm. emotional, people's kindness, their prayers and their gifts and uh, just holding the family close. This has been an amazing summer. And how have your family dealt with it? Like, have that? Um, how have you guys, with your wives, you know, prayed through this stuff? My girls have been very different. I've got five. We're a blend, blended family. So my wife Becca, she's very medical. Her two girls um, want to know every last detail. My three, I wouldn't say they're in denial, but maybe two out of the three are a little bit. How are you doing, Dad? And I'm doing good today. You know, I'm doing really great. I don't know if it's really sunk in. The prognosis but you know a prognosis is a prognosis isn't it it hasn't got to be right it hasn't got to be time accurate mm -hmm. so i'm doing good i used to love watching stranger things uh do you watch stranger things oh yeah and the, good and the police chief had this uh expression because it all got very dangerous he said i'm gonna die but not today so one of my girls maddie she said how are you doing dad and i said darling i'm gonna die I thought, I can't remember the second half of the, of the expression here. So <laughs> it went on a little bit long. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to die, but but not today. And what's been the biggest thing you think you've learned so far through all this? For me, um, oh, that life is a gift to count your blessings every single day. It really is. And I've been able to share my journey. I've had at least three friends go and get marks checked out. One of them had the start of of melanoma uh, on her ankle and they got it so quick. And that was amazing. She'd noticed this mark. She wasn't going to do anything. Her teenage daughter nagged her because she said, remember what happened to Steve? Um, when I got it checked out, that's maybe Wendy's life has been saved because of, of, of this story of, of mine. So that's good. Um, I just really crack on with things and really share to others. What would be it like for you if you knew you had five months to live? You know, crack on with things, write that book you maybe wanted to do, go on that dream holiday. You you never had the opportunity to do. And make sure the people who love you know that you really love them and hold them tight. There's some of the things I've learned. What about you, guys? Yeah. So, yeah, in terms of family, um, my family don't moddy coddle me at all, uh, which I'm really grateful for. My daughter's actually sent me, we've got a great family. WhatsApp, like many others, I suppose. And this group WhatsApp went out the day after diagnosis that said, Dad, how are you feeling? And my youngest, who's a vet, and my eldest, who's a tattoo artist, said, don't lie, you've been on Google to see if it's hereditary and genetic, haven't you? And the other one replied, yes, I have, actually. <laughs> I went, don't worry, it's not. They went, oh, great. How are you, Dad? <laughs> so that's, that's family, family are great. But like Steve said, I think the reality doesn't sink in. It's hard. I see pained expressions in their faces when I'm not moving around the house properly. Dad looks weak. I think that's that's pretty hard. 
But in terms of the wider picture, genuinely speaking, like why we are talking right now, my face is starting to go a bit solid. So I'm losing some expression in my face and my body's becoming extremely stiff because I didn't get the uh, medication in before I came on the call. So I've had a very busy day. And, and actually, I'm grateful for this. Like, every time I switch off, as we call it in the Parkinson's world, um, it reminds me of my fragility. It, it reminds me that um, here but by the grace of God go I, my life's in his hands. I'm reliant on at least 10 pills a day and a couple of injections now uh, that keep me going. And that brings so much home to you. Like in an unbelievable way, you can either choose to wallow or you can go, this gift of life is the most beautiful thing. And every time I cannot describe this, I think adequately, every time I take a pill and I feel the pills effects hit me and it's not like a euphoria, it's just the pain eases and expression comes back into my face. Maybe my words stop slurring quite as much and I come alive. It's like being born again, again. I'm like, I'm alive. I'm I'm alive. Like, I've got this gift of life. For however long I've got it, that is a beautiful thing. And it just, it, it just hurts when you see people wasting life on creating unnecessary dramas, rowing about inconsequential things, bickering with their husbands or wives about things that just don't matter, getting wound up about trivia, road rage, all of that stuff. And you're like, man, you would not be thinking like that if you knew your life was on the end game or if you had some chronic illness. Seize the day, you know, be choose joy. Okay, these things don't matter. Like how pressure the people precious are the people around you. Don't don't behave like that. And and I think me and Steve have been given this amazing gift. And many others like us have been able to demonstrate the true value of life and living in the moment. And put in our faith, hope, life and trust in Christ that if it all goes wrong and the wheels come off or God calls us home, we still win. Mm. We, we still win it. Yeah. We cannot go wrong. We've won. We've won. And so now it's about using this for God's glory and, you know, having a laugh along the way. Yeah, and I guess that's the thing for you guys because you are both evangelists at heart as well. So, you know, you get to as Christians, whatever we know that whenever we are in a tricky situation, we're faced with any kind of suffering that we have the hope of eternal life. Does it, does it, has it sort of infused you afresh in order to get that message out to other people like that, you know, the the whole kind of funeral gospel thing? Hey, do you know where you're going? I think it's added a certain strand to what I do um, to be able to talk about it, because people can't argue with, with me on this. People can argue over all sorts of points of the gospel, but this is the journey I'm on and saying, make the most of every day. And if today is your last day, do you know where you're going? And it's good news though, isn't it? This word gospel means good news and good news is for sharing. We just, there's nothing that would stop me from sharing this good news because people need to hear it. It's life-changing, transformative stuff and it's brilliant and I love it. And I want to do it till my last day on this earth. Yeah, 100%. That, that's me. I'm exactly the same. You know, one more for Jesus till the day we breathe our last, you know. That's, that's what we live for. And then one day we will die, all of us, and we'll open our eyes and we'll be with the Lord. So why don't you live for him until the very end? Exactly. For as long as he gives us. 
That's the true source of peace and joy, isn't it? He said with an incredibly grumpy face, it's going incredibly solid right now. <laughs> I look like I want to kill everyone, but actually I feel really happy. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.